0: welcome to the show letitia proctor was sort of tricked into a hotel career when her cousin an assistant general manager asked letitia to take a part-time front desk job she didn't realize that cousin would soon give her notice leaving letitia behind fortunately for the industry letitia was herself assistant gm within three months Kicking off a career that has included big box hotels, independents and boutiques, airport properties, and everything in between. Letitia has served as a sales and marketing executive for all of the best companies, culminating in her position as Executive Vice President of Sales, Marketing, and Revenue Management for Donahoe Hospitality. Today, Letitia and I are going to talk about personal and professional evolution, but before we jump in, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals and other random strangers off the street who have burning questions. If you would like to submit a question, you can call or text me at 850-404-9630. Today's question was submitted by Ainsley. I think this question is so funny. Does anyone agree to attrition anymore? It seems impossible to get it signed. Well, Leticia, what do you think? Are any clients signing for an attrition clause in a group contract these days?
1: Believe it or not, we still have some that sign, and it's it's surprisingly our uh, law firms. Law firms, if they go to settlement before the actual um, case starts, they will pay the attrition. So we and and it could be, you know, you know, uh, in the well into the six figures, you know, because, again, if they have to have a war room, you take out the furniture, you move all this stuff and you're blocking space and you have rooms out for X amount of time. And then they decide, oh, the case is settled. Well, we need to be made whole, and they absolutely still, uh, still uh, pay attrition. You know that that that, that's been some big wins for us. So absolutely now, our our social clients, not so much.
0: Uh, (laughs) Do they ever though? No,
1: no, no. They want the entire ballroom. They don't want anything, but not so much. But uh, our corporate clientele and associations, yes, they do. Well, that's Great good question.
0: news. That's positive mm-hmm. to hear. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask you, do you still speak to that cousin who fooled you into becoming a
1: hotelier? Oh, I know you had <laughs> other plans. What were you planning to do before that? Yes, I still speak to my cousin. Um, mm-hmm. She does not live in the area anymore. She moved away, got married and and followed a, a, a life of faith and in the ministry with her husband. She forever changed my path. You know, oddly enough, I uh, went to school because I wanted to be a judge. I wanted to be Judge Proctor. You know, I'm a rule <laughs> follower to the to the twelfth power, and I really wanted to be a judge because of that that space of right and wrong, black and white, and um, you know that analytical side of my of my life compared to where I am on the sales side, which is very optimistic, very outgoing, very. So it's a good blend of both halves of my brain in a sense of that, you know, technical side, as well as just the the need to want to help others achieve their dream and help others. So yeah, so but it is so funny. I still think about that today. Had it not been for her, I would not be in a hospitality space at all. So it's so funny how, you know, trajectory in your life can change.
0: Absolutely. Mm hmm. A lot of property leaders envision a future in the corporate office, but very few are able to make that transition for a variety of reasons. What are some of the things that you did to position yourself for your first above property role?
1: I think at that time, I was still somewhat um, early in being married and a new mom. And i um, still looking at life in a sense of just doing what I did, but trying to do it the very best that I could. So when the opportunity arose, I cannot say that I was planning, oh my gosh, by, you know, this year, I'm going to be an area director of sales. It kind of happened to me. And I, I have to admit, I was scared to death. I had no idea. I'm like, oh my gosh, can I do this? Like, you know, but what's the alternative? If I don't do it, then what does life look like for me? You know, will I forever regret not taking that step? Or will I, you know, should I try it and then fake it till I make it? You know what I mean? Like, what do we do here? So um, when it happened, you know, I just decided to believe in myself, that you're smart and you'll figure it out. And if you don't know how to figure it out, you have enough people that you can reach out to that will help you along the way. Then I began to build my own confidence of myself and not reaching, uh, not looking for that from someone else, but more from myself and tunnel, internal um, just just confidence and knowing that I would do okay.
0: Your job at Donahoe expanded to include new builds, repositions, renovations, all of those things in addition to operating Mm -hmm. hotels. Talk Mm -hmm. about what those additional responsibilities entail.
1: This includes a completely different lens for me in the sense of how I have worked in the hospitality space. Primarily, my role has been once I have a complete asset, a complete hotel, fully finished, fully operating, then we drive top line and make sure it flows well to the bottom line, to GOP. So that's always been my space. So now I get to also impart some um, some perspective on how the asset is built based on how we sell it, based on what we hear about from our customers and I our guests. And it's been amazing. I don't know why I haven't been doing this before. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you, when you hear a lot about, you know, when you're in the hotel space, as far as, you know, top line customer and revenue generation, digital marketing, group sales, you hear what everyone looks trending. You hear patterns, you see trends. And so you know that guests are now asking for X amount of meeting space. It would be nice if we had blank. And, but you think about it in twofold, where you're thinking, you know, how does the asset have continued shelf life? And not that it's just trendy for three years, but will we still enjoy the space 10 years from now? So that hat, will I still be able to monetize that for the ownership? How easy is it going to be for us to sell it? And what kind of feedback will we get from guests where we can have a core customer base? A base that, you know, we don't have to always go to the well to find new clients, but we're also on part with um, our on par with the comp set and with the market, but we can meet demand and and get more than our fair share.
0: You have talked about the fact that you have so often been the only Black woman in the room during your career that you sometimes feel immune to it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: All of the brands have launched, are launching initiatives to attract women and people of color into hotel ownership. At the same time, the C-suites of those companies only include 22% women and 1.1% Black women. What do you think that hotel companies should do differently to achieve more equal representation? Just solve this problem in one answer. I'm sure you can do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, I won a million dollars. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, Donahoe is one of those few management companies where we truly have diversity in the C-suite. So we have women, we have people of color. Um, and I think it's because, you know, we try to meet people where they are, right? So if we continue to do what we're doing, I think it starts with, with recruiting and training if I had to sum it up in two words. So, you have to recruit differently. If you recruit only in the places where it's predominantly, um, you know, not representing people of color, then you'll never have that opportunity to have people of color have their perspective in the room. If you don't train people, because again, in, our, in, our, in our, the hospitality space, we have quite a few people that are in the associate level as far as hourly and supervisor, and maybe even manager. But as you continue to ascend up to the C-suite, that number erodes to the single digits. to your point less than 1%. So if we don't continue to recruit and train to have people experience the ladder that goes all the way up to the C-suite and not just stopping at the manager level, then that is where we do ourselves a disservice as an industry because we need all perspectives to represent the traveler. So we need females, we need males, we need young people, we need more mature people, we need people of different ethnicities, different cultures to really understand the traveler and to help our industry grow down the line. So if we don't have that um, perspective in the room, But not only that, it's not just about having them in the room. I think this is where we kind of fall short. Um, When they get to your place, do you welcome them? Are you inclusive? Do Do you create an environment where they're empowered to make decisions? Do you welcome their thoughts, their perspectives? Do you have equity for them when they get there so that they stay there? It's not just about getting them in the room. It's helping them stay in the room and having other people that look like them see that person in the room and, and strive to be in the room, too. If, if I can't see myself there, because it starts with the vision. You know, you have to be the person. You have to do what it takes to get there. And then you can have what it takes to stay there. So you have to be, do, have. If you don't do that, then you're falling short. So I think as an industry, you know, it cannot be something that's um, a fad or like we're riding the wave of DE&I. Because you, you hear things now about diversity, equity, inclusion, fatigue. That's the thing. People are tired of it. So sometimes we have short memories. It has to be an intentional effort to, to have more diversity in the C-suite. And so, again, recruiting and training, to me, are big things that we have to focus on to keep people interested in what happens, you know, in the in the, in the suite. And, you know, at the CEO level, at the president's level, at the COO level, what does that look like? And not have it be such... Um. An ambiguous place. And the last thing I I will add is mentorship. You definitely have to have mentors that are there that's willing to show other people what that looks like. Even though I'm super busy, I still make time for mentorship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Because I am a very restless person. I've been asking people (laughs) lately... What they do to stay engaged in jobs that they've had a, for a long time. I've interviewed so many people who've spent 10, 20, you know, all these years doing the same job. You have been at Donahoe for about five years, mm-hmm. and then you had a similar role at PM Hotel Group before that. So, how do you stay engaged in your work?
1: Oh, <laughs> you know what's funny? I was at the, um, the I was I, I was a panelist at the lodging conference last week and a week before last. And, um, that question came up in the hotel industry. Oh, really? Uh, very similar to, you know, how do you like, what is most important? What do you love about the hotel space? What keeps you engaged? What keeps you kind of important? I'm, I'm surmising that, but that was the gist of the question. And the top answer was no two days are ever the same. And I believe that I believe that in a sense of, you know, I have been um, in this senior leadership role um, for, gosh, almost 11 years, and I have not bored in that one minute of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it does require someone who is solution-oriented, so I thrive in, in solving, getting to the root cause of stuff. I thrive in that, but I also try to make sure that I have continuing education. So I am a continuous learner. I am always learning something. So whether it's better sales and marketing skills, better revenue management skills, um, better sales skills, or networking with people in the industry to, um, to see you know what kind of trends are you seeing that at my level and up, or just people around me. I'm always kind of engaged in what's happening in the community to keep me centered where um, I'm not bored in my day-to-day. I'm always doing something else. So it's avoiding the pitfalls of redundancy to me. So just because I've I've seen hundreds of weddings, it's this person's first wedding. Mm-hmm. So I have to remember that. You know what I mean? So like, how do we deliver this vision for the first, especially for the social events and the, and the corporate events? How do we deliver those first without being bored in the day to day? But for me, I'm also about efficiencies. So as we improve how we do things, it's better to free up time to do other things. So from that lens, um, I don't get bored. I don't, I'm always doing something. So, and that for me, uh, as well as our president, he's always asking me to be involved with something other than what I normally do. That's nice. That That makes a big difference. Yeah. So whether it's business development, whether it's the economic club, whether it's listening to um, or going to an event where there's a speaker on blank, it's always different perspectives that keeps it fresh. So, and then I try to weave in, how do I make a difference? And those are things that um, keep me from getting bored in the day-to-day. This
0: sounds like a good time to take a break and learn about Cogwheel Analytics. Cogwheel Analytics is a business intelligence tool for hotel digital marketing. Since the dawn of time, hotels have only been able to compare their digital marketing data against their own historical performance. With Cogwheel Analytics, hotel companies can compare information across their portfolios in order to benchmark results. Because Cogwheel Analytics has mapped out data points for all the major brands from more than 20 different sources, hotels can stop creating manual reports and see everything from channel mix, to social media, to Kodi, Expedia, and Google data all in one place. The time this saves gives marketers the chance to spend their time on things that actually matter like strategy and action planning rather than creating spreadsheets that sounds like a win to me. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit CogwheelAnalytics.com. That's CogwheelAnalytics.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. We like to make sure that our listeners come away from each and every episode of Top Floor with some practical, tangible tips to try either in their businesses or their personal lives. What are some of the specific things you have done over your career to set yourself apart and become successful?
1: Good question. So um, a couple things. So one, I was always very observant. So every position I had, I always learned something from it. So, you know, one position where I worked, um, one of the general managers taught me to be very specific. So if I said this person's great, um, they would say, "Well, specifically, why are they great?" And it wasn't just because they did blank. I had to say, "On this day, they did ABC, and on this day, they did." It, it caused me to go beyond surface level thinking and kind of really get to specifically, you know, that sub level DEF level thinking of mm-hmm. why I think this person's great. And so that. That that technique, in a sense of just being able to recall those specifics, personally and professional, professionally, has been very helpful for me in my career.
0: That's a really interesting one. I haven't never heard somebody say that. Before. Yeah,
1: it was like you know, it's because if I think that something's doing very well, I cannot do a broad stroke with that. I have to be very specific and be able to re- to to recount the specifics as to why I feel that way, and that builds credibility. So when you have credibility, um, because sometimes in our space, we tend to be um, very uh, broad stroke items where it's not very, you know, mathematical in our approach, such as like the finance department or real estate or accounting, especially in the revenue, when you're all about strategy, you want to be very specific on how you're going to get there. And so it's caused you to be able to think in a certain way where, wow, she said this, this is why she felt this way and she delivered. And I always remember what I said I would do. But I guess if I had to look at my superpower, I was also very concerned about people. So it was a business sense and a personal sense, that personal sense, that personable approach to kind of tie it together to, to help me care about people but still deliver results. And so I think that set me apart. I wasn't very, you know, I was very approachable. I am approachable very approachable, but yet still very business-minded. And that together was a great recipe for helping me get to where I am today. And I'm still that person. So if you know me for 30 or 40 years, I'm still the same person I was back then. And also pretty funny. I think I'm funny. So, <laughs> so I think I'm pretty funny too. Um, and I just remind myself that I am not finding a cure for cancer and I'm not feeding the four. So like what I am doing is really making a company profitable. But yes, still trying to enjoy my time while I am in that space. And so that, to me, has helped to keep me grounded. But then when I go home, my family gets all of me. They don't get like the person that's like, oh, I'm so tired today because they get the person that's still happy to be with the family. So those are things where if I had to look at it, I felt like I had a really good sense of um, being well-rounded, um, so not difficult to work with, but yet get the job done, results oriented team player, all of that. Um, And that's been consistent throughout my career.
0: The sales discipline and the sales process has changed a lot over your career and mine. What are some things that hotel salespeople are still doing that they need to stop? And what are some things that they're not doing that they need to start?
1: Let's start with stop it. What should (laughs) hotel salespeople stop doing? Oh my gosh, it's so funny! I had a conversation some time ago, recently though, where you know, uh, some 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 team members they were saying just GMs like you know salespeople need to get out there and do sales calls again. They need to go out there and see these clients. They need to go out here and build these relationships. And I and my thought was that's so old school. It's so old school. Like, like what are they going to do? Wanna- go to their no. house? <laughs> I was just like, what in the world are we doing here? Um, Yeah, like, you know, in this digital age, and there's, you know, your website, which back in the day may have just been your website, your website is now your site inspection. You know what I mean? So like, like, so the days of cold calls um, are far and few in between. You know, COVID definitely changed that quite a bit. You know, no one's going to have you just knocking on their door just because Um, there are ways to find people and do a warm call and develop a relationship separate and apart from. From uh, just, you know, trying to go out there and beat the streets. That's just so old school. Um, Stop doing it so much is what I would say. Or stop thinking that that's the way to do it because you're just wasting time. Like no one, I would be mortified if you knocked on my door and wanted to just do a spill. Like what? So I think that I don't even know. But people still think that way today, which is so crazy to me. I don't even know what that's about. So they should <laughs> stop that. You know, you can still okay. you can still get business without going that realm. You can still do other things without going that route. Social media, you know, email, all that stuff, just all the other things you can do to get business, it's separate and apart from this. So stop it.
0: <laughs> no more. Understood. Cold calls. Okay. <laughs> what should they start doing that they're not doing enough of?
1: I think that they should start spending more time strategizing and less time on administrative stuff. If you're a salesperson, sell. You spend 80% of your time selling and 20% getting the admin work done, or maybe it's 70-30. But I find a lot of salespeople still spend a lot of time on, on getting involved in the operation stuff where I, I, I know you want to get it done. Um and You want help, but if you're not doing what we hired you to do, then you're guaranteeing, you know, five months from now that there may not be any sales activity there or a group there or what have you, because we spend so much time not really focused on selling. So I think that uh, embracing social media, hands down, embracing marketing efforts, you know, those are things that we need to start doing more to reach our clients, whether it's, you know, video or... Um, creative ways to to kind of lock in the business, but start spending more time in creativity and less in the admin part is what I'm suggesting.
0: Thousand percent agree. Mm-hmm. We have reached the fortune telling portion of the show. So now's the time to predict the future. And then we'll come back and see if you were right. You are a board member of Covenant House in D.C., And one of the things that you do with that organization is a sleep out to raise awareness and money to fight on behalf of the unhoused. I'm going to take this question a different way than I normally do and ask you, what is a prediction you have about the future on poverty and housing?
1: I predict that the need is still going to outweigh the resources in the future in a great way. So as much as I see out, there's a sleep happening next month. We are raising awareness, um, but it's still not front of mind. So when you are raising awareness, not just for homelessness, but for youth homelessness. So imagine someone between the ages of 18 and 24 that are homeless, and they don't have the resources to kind of not only just, you know, find shelter for a short time, but to develop a lifestyle where they are, they can self-sustain themselves. Um, I predict it's still gonna be an issue. This still gonna because I don't hear it enough. Not that they're not doing enough, but I don't hear enough. And then, you know, is there a better way to connect the resources to the individual? You know, so when someone needs help right now, we all have been trained 911. If you have, you know, suicide prevention, there's another number, three digit number now. You know, if there is some type of domestic violence, there's another number there. But if for some reason I am out on the streets, and I am 18 years old or I'm 20 years old, what do I do? Where do I go? Like, how do I get the resources to the end user? And that to me keeps me up at night. That to me worries me because when I experience the sleep out, you know, the the multiple, the multitude of things you have to contend with far outweigh just that one night. One of the toughest
0: parts about that is how do you strike the balance between pushing the needle forward, pushing, making progress happen and being like the only voice. So then you are seen as a troublemaker. It's an impossible burden.
1: It is. It is. I just take it one moment at a time and I just try to be my authentic self. And did I do the right thing today? Mm -hmm. Because if I, I think if I try to look at the past, then it'll make me depressed. And if I look to the future too far, our future trip, and have an anxiety attack. So I try to say, (laughs) what can I do today? Did I do Mm -hmm. a good job today? And that centers me because if not, you're absolutely right. It could be a Herculean effort. And sometimes people shut down when it's too great. So can I do a little bit to even just just spark the thought of someone else also helping to make a difference? And that to me is how you enact change.
0: Excellent. I'm going to remember mm-hmm. that. That's great mm-hmm. advice. If you could wave a magic wand and mm-hmm. change one thing about hospitality conferences, what would it be? Oh, do you want me to start with mine? Yes. Dress yes. code. I would oh. make it not only that it's not necessary, but that it's against the law to wear high heels because (laughs) if somebody wears them, then I feel like I have to wear them and it makes me Mm, want to jump mm, off the roof.
1: High mm, heels are
0: outlawed mm. from hospitality conferences. Henceforth. That's mine.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) such a great thing. I'm thinking about a conference. Okay. Um, let me tell you what I would outlaw. I would outlaw 7 a.m. breakfast. Oh yes, ma'am. That's a good one. I, I would outlaw that to the 12th power. I, I would have more. it be more 9 o'clock or even 8.30, but at 7 a.m. I, I was at a conference where breakfast was at, I think, 6.45 to 7 a.m. And I thought, I'm on a different time zone. Um, I w- It would be great if it started at 8. And then the meeting kicked off at 9 o'clock. That, that me, is I insane. Yes. Yeah, I just think that those 7 a.m. I, literally, I was trying to have a breakfast appointment at 7.30. You know what I mean? So even even for the early birds, and I like to wake up, and I like to do, you know, Peloton at 5 a.m. I'm, so it's not that I'm not an early bird, but I just think people need more time to kind of collect their thoughts, get their mind right, and start their day, but not be in the hustle and bustle of 7 a.m. Because I think about people that have children, you know, how do you, what do you do with your children if you have to be at breakfast at 7 a.m.? Like, what do you do? come on dear get up let's go to the center at 5 a.m Yeah, back (laughs) if if i had to reset that i would have the starting times would be a little bit more family friendly just for everyone because you know it's not just about what they do the associate it's also about the person you know what's your family like do you have to care for um an elderly uh, family member what does you know what does care look like for them yeah you know, what I mean, because if you're there at seven, that means you're probably leaving well before that. So those are things to me that I would probably the start and stop times to be a little different. I would that say makes that. Sense. I like and it. that. That couple a good one. with it, and I, and that couple with the dress code, we're on fire. Then <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's like all of a sudden the best conference anyone's ever been to. No, heels, like, oh my no god, early it's amazing. Right <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is next for you, and what's next for your company?
1: Wow. So. Climbing out of the pandemic, I think for us it's a growth model. It's a third-party growth model. It's not just you know one particular brand or one particular brand type. It's you know how do we expand more across the U.S. You know what do we need to do to kind of get more hotels in the portfolio, but hotels that make sense. So what I do love about our company is that we are thoughtful about what we do, um, and then in the sense of succession planning, you know there's always a path forward in the sense of you know. If if we grow our company, what does that look like for me? So I'm always open to new possibilities. In um, a sense of the direct, it's supporting my president. It, you know, as the team grows, we grow. What does that look like for me? What does it look like for our team? But for our company, it's more about growth mode. It really is. It's about you know how do we become more efficient? How do we weave in AI? How do we how do we leverage that to allow people to have more engagement zones and be less technical? in their position, less transactional, Mm -hmm. you know, how do we, in hospitality space, you have to be more hospitable. How do we become less transactional? Does AI help us do that? What does that mean for us in the space without losing our efficiencies? So um, for us, it's about having that magic wand of, you know, what's the right number for us, but yet still um, not losing our culture. That's a big deal for us.
0: Understood. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, folks, before we tell Letitia goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Letitia, what is a story you would only tell me on the loading dock?
1: (laughs) I'll tell you a recent story that I haven't had a chance to share with with anyone. So... um, I have a favorite uncle who, um, was near and dear to me. still near and dear to me. He lives on the West coast in California and, um, he saw a picture of me, a digital cover of me on, um, a magazine cover. And, um, he said to me, you know, when you were a little girl um I would take you and your brothers to the park, I would take you to the park and your brother would ride his bike. Um, your little brother would play in the sandbox and you always wanted to be on the swing. So while you want to swing, I would push you. And as I'm pushing you, you'd always say, Uncle Greg, I want to go higher. Push me higher. Push me higher. And he would say, if I push you any higher, you're going to fall out the swing. And I'm like, no, I want to go higher. I want to go (laughs) higher. He said, and when I look at that magazine cover, I see you going higher. I see you going higher. I see you reaching for your dreams. And I could not be more proud of you. And he just shared that with me like two weeks ago. And it made me tear up because I didn't know that story. But um, when I think about where our industry is going and how we're becoming more inclusive and how there is, you know, um, the thought of having more representation in the boardroom, I think of how the industry is going higher. And what can we, I do to help people that look like me go higher, too? So that, to me... Um, made me well up in in tears because as a little girl, I I remember being on the swing all the time. And I remember going and wanting to go and touch the sky. So how do we get others to kind of do that and pave the way for those behind us? So that to me is a story that I'm sharing on the loading dock. I want to go higher. (laughs) Oh, Mm -hmm. I can just see you as a little girl (laughs) reaching your hands out. And I may have been like five or six years old, but it, even today, it gives me goosebumps because um, you have to have the vision. You have to be able to see yourself. You have to be able to expect great things. And, and that from there, you know, you'll know, you do great things and you'll have great things. And so like, there's room for everyone.
0: Letitia Proctor, thank you so much for being here. I know our listeners got some great tips and great advice. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top
1: floor. It's absolutely been my pleasure, Susan. Thanks for listening.
0: You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 112. Jonathan Albano is our editor, producer, and all around genius. He even wrote and performed our theme song with vocals by Cameron Albano. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And your rating or review will go a long way in helping us give you more of what you like. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.